الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الكريم وبعد فقد قال الله سبحانه وتعالى في كتاب الكريم بعد نعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم فالذين آمنوا به وعزروه ونصروه واتبعوا النور الذي أنزل معه واتبعوا النور الذي أنزل معه أولئك هم المفلحون وقال النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين صدق الله العظيم وصدق رسوله النبي الكريم ونحن على ذلك من الشاهدين والشاكرين والحمد لله رب العالمين Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the Qur'an says, وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا That if you are to count the blessings of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you would never be able to do so. And amongst, in, in our individual lives, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala showers many blessings. Many blessings. But perhaps one of the greatest blessings that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us is the blessing to be part of the ummah of the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And this can be seen through many different ahadith. But one I'll narrate, and this is a hadith narrated in Tirmidhi. The Prophet ﷺ said that there will be 100 rows of people who will enter Jannah without any hisab. And these 100 rows of people are from the time of Adam ﷺ until the end of creation. So he said that from the entire mankind that was ever created, from Adam salam until Qiyamah, there will be 100 rows of people who will enter Jannah without any hisab. And the Prophet ﷺ then said that 80, 8-0 from these rows will be, 8-0, 80 of these rows will be from my ummah. The 80 of those 100 rows that will enter Jannah without any hisab will be from the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And when this hadith was being narrated, when the Prophet sallallahu was saying this to the companions, there was one companion by the name of Ukasha, and so he saw that there is this blessing that is associated with being part of the ummah of the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam. So he immediately asked the Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam, "Ya Rasulullah, make du'a that I am amongst them." He said, make dua that I am amongst these 80 rows. The Prophet ﷺ then said, Anta minhum, that you are amongst these rows. Another companion, he got up and he said, Ya Rasulullah, make dua for me too. The Prophet ﷺ said, Sabaqaka ukasha. Ukasha already asked before you, you were too late. <laughs> Which means whenever there's an opportunity to do good, that the person should rush to it. The opportunity was there for Ukasha to ask dua, the Prophet ﷺ did it immediately. So this is one of the virtues that is associated with being part of this ummah of the Prophet ﷺ. However, we learn that whenever a person is giving a blessing, it's not their blessing to do as they wish with it. That with every blessing comes a responsibility. Every blessing, every blessing comes with a responsibility and every blessing comes with a test. And it's whether or not we pass that test that came with the blessing, which will determine whether that blessing is a means of reward for us or it is a means of punishment for us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives an example in Surah Al-Nahl about a town that He had given them 
multiple blessings. He had showered among, um, uh, upon them a numerous amount of blessings. He said, That Allah strikes an example of a town that, was, that had security. Mutma'inna that they were content. Ya'tiha rizquha ragadam min kulli makan. And these people, their rizq would come to them in abundance. From every part of the world, from every area, they were getting the rizq. It was coming in abundance. Fakafarat. This was a blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It came with a test of whether or not they would show gratitude to Allah. Allah said, فَكَفَرَتْ That they showed ingratitude. They were not grateful for these blessings. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took that blessing away of security and of abundant risk. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had replaced it with fear and poverty. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is showing in this ayah that if we do not fulfill the responsibilities of the blessings that come with the blessings, then it will not be a means of reward for us in the hereafter or in this dunya. So we learn that amongst the greatest blessings that we have is to be part of the ummah of the Prophet Now what are the rights of the Prophet amongst us? There are, the Qur'an mentions four rights of the Prophet ﷺ, and in the hadith we learn one additional right. So we know that there are five rights that the Prophet ﷺ has in regards to his ummah. What are they? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا That the first right of the Prophet ﷺ is to believe in him as a messenger of Allah as a messenger of Allah. Saying that he was the most influential personality in history does not fulfill that right. Saying that the Prophet ﷺ was the best in whatever capacity does not fill that right. But rather, believing in the messengerhood, believing in the Prophet of the Prophet ﷺ is one of the rights. The second right of the Prophet ﷺ, Allah says is, وَعَزَّرُوهُ And those who honored the Prophet ﷺ. Why? Allah says in Surah Ali Imran, وَكُنْتُمْ عَلَى شَفَى حُفْرَةٍ مِّنَ النَّارِ فَأَنْقَذَكُمْ مِنْهَا That we all were on the brinks of being thrown into the hellfire. Each and every one of us was about a little bit away from being thrown in the hellfire. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, فَأَنْقَذَكُمْ مِنْهَا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved you from that. How? The Mufassirun write that the way that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala saved this ummah from the hellfire was allowing the Prophet sallallahu to bring us the ni'mah of Islam. And therefore it is the right of the Prophet sallallahu upon us that we honor him and that we respect him. فَالَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِي The first right is to believe in him. The second right, وَعَزَّرُوهُ And to, to honor him. وَنَصَرُوهُ and those who helped the Prophet ﷺ. In what? In regards to his task. In regards to his duty. His duty was to teach people about Islam that did not know it. His, people, his duty was to spread the nur of the Qur'an. To spread the nur of Islam. To spread the nur of haqq. And those people who do that. And the common responsibility among everyone to do that is not to necessarily proclaim it with their speech, but rather to exemplify it with their actions, to exemplify it with their character. And this is really, wallahi, this is one of the things that we find that regardless of what situation we find the ummah in, something happens on the news and our religion is associated with it, people may look down upon us. But if they see 
the true character of Muslims, then they can hear whatever they want to on the news. They can read whatever they want to on the, in the newspaper. But when they see akhlaq from you, they will not believe in that. Why? The Prophet says, لَيْسَ الْخَبْرُ كَالْمُعَايَنَةً That hearing something, hearing about news, is not the same thing as seeing it in front of your eyes. I mean, my brother, my twin, I have a twin brother, and he used to work in, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a place, in a cafeteria. And you know, the people, the non-Muslims that were working with him, they saw things being said about Islam, that Islam is you know, a barbaric religion. Islam is a religion in which Muslims do not show mercy. And they were seeing all of this in the news. And my, my, I remember my brother said, that his co-workers were hearing this being said on the news and it was being displayed. And his friend said, you know, I don't believe that that's how Muslims are. Why? Because my co-worker is a Muslim. He was referring to my brother. And he only shows me the nicest of character. He only shows me generosity. And so I see that from him. And this is what they're saying, I will believe what I see as opposed to what I hear. And so this is what our job is at every, every, everyone's responsibility is at an individual level to exemplify the akhlaq that the Prophet ﷺ came and showed us that Islam is supposed to give birth to. And people will hear whatever they want, but they will see us and they will believe what we are displaying to them with our character as opposed to what they are hearing in the news and in the media. So this is the third right of the Prophet ﷺ upon us, that we help it in, in regards to his duty. The fourth is, To follow the nur that was sent upon the Prophet ﷺ, that was revealed upon the Prophet ﷺ, which is what? Which is Qur'an. And so amongst the rights of the Prophet ﷺ directly associated with that is fulfilling the rights of the Qur'an. And if we fulfill the rights of the Qur'an, we are fulfilling one of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ upon us. And if we neglect one of the rights of the Qur'an, then it is neglecting directly one of the rights of the Prophet ﷺ upon us. I'll give us one example. You know, in Surah Furqan, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that the Prophet ﷺ will say, وَقَالَ الرَّسُولُ that the messenger will say that this group of mine had abandoned my Qur'an. Now the Mufassirun writes, why is the Prophet ﷺ saying this? They write, the import of this is that there were a group of people who denied the prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ in this life. And then in the hereafter, they will try to associate themselves with Nabi ﷺ. Now how will the Prophet ﷺ disassociate himself from them? He will not say, Ya Allah, they didn't believe in me. He mentions this one statement. That, ya Allah, they have nothing to do with me. Why? Because they took my Qur'an and they abandoned it. So the Prophet ﷺ is disassociating himself from them, but disassociating them with the Qur'an. So the fourth right of the Prophet ﷺ upon us is to follow and fulfill the rights of the Qur'an. Now that was the basic four things that we, we, we see in the, in, the, in the Qur'an. And really a khutbah can give, be given about each and every one of these points. But the one point I wanted to highlight was the right of the Prophet ﷺ that is mentioned through the hadith. 
which is what the Prophet says, لا يؤمن أحدكم حتى أكون أحب إليه من والده وولده والناس أجمعين. None of you truly believe. What does that mean? That doesn't mean that our iman is being negated. That means the perfection of our, of our iman is being negated. That if we claim to be people who have perfected our iman, then the Prophet ﷺ says that will never happen unless this becomes manifest. What is that? That none of you have perfected your belief unless I, meaning the Prophet ﷺ, is more beloved to them, meaning to you, more than your children, more than your parents, and more than the, all of humanity combined. Meaning the most beloved personality to us should be the Prophet ﷺ. And you know, one is what, what is one of the ways that we can see to ourselves whether we love the Prophet ﷺ or not? There's multiple ways. But one of them is, مَنْ أَحَبَّ شَيْئًا أَكْثَرَ ذِكْرَهُ That whoever loves something, they mention it more. Whoever loves something, they mention it abundantly. Just ask ourselves, we have to ask ourselves on an individual basis. If we look into our conversations, if you look into our dialogues, if you look into our discourses that we have with other people, or when we're contemplating on our own, is it any, any time dictated by the love of the Prophet ﷺ? Are we mentioning the Prophet ﷺ? If and are we mentioning other things more than the Prophet ﷺ? And if that is the case, then we know where our priorities lie. You know, one of the things that really, one of the hadith that really struck my heart, is that, you know, if we, if we truly had love for the Prophet ﷺ, things would be automatic. We wouldn't have to be told and be convinced to follow the, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. I mean, one example is that one time, it comes in the Shama'il of Tirmidhi, that one time Ibn Umar radiallahu an was walking on the streets. He was walking on the streets. And the Prophet sallallahu saw him. And he saw that his pants were below his ankles. And he said to Ibn Umar, why are your pants below your ankles? Ibn Umar responded, Ya Rasulullah, I am not doing this out of arrogance. I am not doing this because out of pride. The Prophet sallallahu responded with one statement. And we should write this statement in gold and ingrain it within our minds. What did the Prophet say? Don't you find in me the best example? I mean, even if you're not doing it out of arrogance, even if you're not doing it out of pride, don't you see that I'm doing this? And don't you find in me the best example? So why do you have to be convinced? If you see me doing it, that should be enough. And that was enough for the Sahaba. Wallahi, that was enough. They saw the Prophet do something, and that was enough for them to want to follow it. Another hadith that comes to mind, Abdullah ibn Mas'ud, one time he was with some of his companions, and they were e eating in an area amongst the chiefs, and amongst the leaders of the qawm. And it was a sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, do not waste any food. If something fell on the floor, you know today we have what's called a five second rule. Something falls on the floor, it falls in five seconds, okay, throw it away. <laughs> There's no such thing in the life of the Prophet ﷺ. What happened if something fell on the floor? The sunnah was to pick it up regardless of, so long it was, as it was, that it wasn't contaminated, meaning if it was contaminated to the extent that it would harm you by consuming it, then of course you don't consume it. But if that's not the case, then you pick it up, you wipe it, you clean it, and then you eat it. So Abdullah ibn Mas'ud radiallahu anhu was sitting amongst the chieftains and amongst the leaders of the qawm, and something from his plates of food fell. And so he, because he loved the Prophet ﷺ so much, 
He went, he, pick, he, he went to go pick it up. Another companion said, what are you doing? You know, we're amongst the leaders of the, the qawm. You know, they look at you, they're going to see you as someone who is barbaric. They're going to see you as someone who is very low in society. You know, don't, don't just leave it alone. So we can maintain our self-dignity and our self-respect. Abdullah Mas'ud, he said, he picked it up. And he said, أَأَتْرُكُ سُنَّةَ حَبِيبِي لِهَا وَلَاي حُمَقَى He said, should I leave the sunnah of my beloved for these fools who don't even believe in him? Meaning he, they love the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ so much, it didn't matter what society, what environment they were in. That was not going to influence them in changing their priorities. Which was, the number one thing is we have to follow the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ. And really, the, my, my, my purpose in mentioning this is because when, we, when our youth or whenever, or even our elders, when we're amazed by certain people, one of the signs of Qiyamah is that a person, a Muslim, will be amazed, and this is a hadith, a Muslim will be amazed by a person, and that person will not even have a drop of iman inside of them. Is that not the case? Look at all the sports stars that our youth are running after. Not even our youth, sometimes we blame our youth, our elders. Look at all the politicians that we strive to be like, or whatever the case is. If we, you know, if we truly understood this, the, this, uh, this manifestation of the last days coming, then we would understand there's a crisis that's going on that we have to address and that we cannot ignore. So this is one of the things that if we truly understood the seerah, the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ, we would love him and we would not be, have, to be, have to be convinced to follow him. We would not have to be told, why, why do you have to do this? Why do you have to do that? The fact that the Prophet ﷺ would be enough for us to do it. One example, another, and you know, there are many things that can be said about loving the Prophet ﷺ. But amongst the things, is that I'll mention one story. That when the companions, they recognized who the Prophet ﷺ was, they loved him. To, to them, there was no one that was better. Amr bin As, he says before Islam, this is a hadith narrated in Muslim, it's actually a very long hadith, I'm only going to give you a, a piece of it. That he says that, one time before Islam, in my heart I hated Islam. Before he accepted, he said, in my heart I hated Islam and I disliked Muhammad And he said, suddenly, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala placed the love of Islam inside of my heart. So he said, I want to go accept Islam from the hands of Rasulullah So Rasulullah extended his hand. And as he did this, Amr bin As already had his hand extended. But when the Prophet ﷺ extended it, Amr bin As took his hand back. And the Prophet ﷺ said, What's wrong? Why did you take your hand back? He said, Urid wan ashtarita shartan li nafsi. He said, I have a condition to make. The Prophet ﷺ said, What is that condition? He said, I want to make the condition of clemency. Which is what? That everything that I did in the past, you ignore it, you forgive me for it. Because he knew that some of the things that he had done before his accepting of Islam was enough that to, to, to render his punishment. So he said, I want clemency. The Prophet ﷺ said, Ya, ya Amr bin As, don't you know, أَنَّ الْإِسْلَامَ يَهْدِمُ مَا قَبَلَ وَأَنَّ الْهِجْرَةَ تَهْدِمُ مَا قَبَلَهَا وَأَنَّ الْحَجَّ يَهْدِمُ مَا قَبَلَ Don't you know that when you accept Islam, it erases everything before it? And that when you perform the hijrah, it erases everything before it. And when you do hajj, it erases everything before it. Um, Ibn As, then he extended his hand and he accepted Islam at the hands of the Prophet He said, at that moment, from those days onwards, he said, 
There was no one that I loved more than Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. He said there was no one that I loved more than Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam. And then he says that if you were to ask me to describe him, and he's saying this actually on his deathbed, and he's saying this to his son. His son is consoling him. It's a long hadith. He's saying this on his deathbed, and he's saying if you were to ask me to describe Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, I would not be able to do that. Why? He says I had so much respect for him, so much love for him that I didn't have the audacity to look up directly at him. He said, "So if you were to ask, if you were to ask me to describe him, I wouldn't be able to do so." You know, so this is what we learned that when the Sahaba they understood who the Prophet ﷺ was, that they loved him. And likewise, if we read the seerah of the Prophet ﷺ, if we look into his life, Allah, there is no personality that we will love more. There is no personality that we will love more, and there is no lifestyle that we will want to follow more. There's no lifestyle that you want to follow more. There's so many other things that can be said about loving the Prophet wasallam. I had a bunch of other things to mention, but I'll conclude with one thing. I'll conclude with one thing. I mentioned earlier that the narration says that man ahabba shay'an That the one who loves someone or something, they mention it more. And this is particular a good thing to do on Yawmul Jumu'ah and also something that we can include within our habits. Whether we already have a, a, a habit of dhikr that we're doing every day, if we don't, we can include it. Which is what? Setting salat and salam upon the Prophet wasallam. He comes in a hadith, one time the companions they had gathered and they said, you know, who is going to volunteer to take care of the needs of Rasulullah Who is going to accompany him? Abdurrahman ibn Awf says, I will go. He went and he accompanied the Prophet And that night the Prophet went to Baqiyah, the graveyard, Baqiyah. And he says, Abdurrahman ibn Awf says, that when I came there, when you entered, the Prophet made sajda. He made sajda. And he made sajda for such a long time that I thought he had passed away. He says, he had made sajda for such a long time that I thought he had passed away. And then he says, I began crying. And then the Prophet ﷺ saw that he was crying, he got up, he said, yeah, what's wrong? The Rahman ibn Awf, he said, I thought you had passed away. The Prophet ﷺ says, no. He says, I came and I, was, I did sajda because Jibreel ﷺ just came to me and told me something. And I did sajda out of shukr to Allah. To show gratitude towards Allah. What is that? He says, Jibreel came and told me that whoever sends salat and salam upon me once, Allah will send ten blessings upon them. So I was so thankful to Allah that I made sajda. So what does the hadith say? The hadith says, before I mention that, that on the day of judgment, there will be such a situation that people will be wanting qiyamah to start. This is called shafa'atul kubara or shafa'atul amma. And then the Prophet will ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to begin qiyamah and that will be intercession upon the entire ummah. Then there will be a shafa'atul khassa. A shafa'ah with only a small group of people will get. Which is what the Prophet will come on the base of an individual and say, Ya Allah, forgive this person and allow this person to enter Jannah. How do we gain that shafa'ah? How do we gain that intercession? It takes a few seconds. The Prophet said, Man salla alayya ashran hina yusbihu wa hina yumsi adarakatuhu shafa'ati. That whoever sends the salat and salam, just saying, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad. The shortest is, Allahumma salli ala Muhammad and in Nabil Ummi. Allahumma salli ala Muhammad and Nabiyyil Ummi was the shortest through the Prophet ﷺ had taught to the Sahaba. He says, whoever says this ten times in the morning, 
after Fajr Salah. And whoever says this ten times in the evening after Maghrib Salah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will allow my shafa'ah to reach this individual. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to allow us to build love for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to give us tawfiq to send salutations upon him. Amin wa akhru da'wana alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. Everyone can pray this sunnah.